it. So I just want to share a couple stories as we're getting started. Um, I always share stories from my college days, so no surprise there. But uh, there was, and some of you may have heard this, but in my second year of of uh, college, I was I was a new Christian, um, you know, and this was all very new to me. And I had been growing, you know, and just giving my life to Jesus, growing with Him. And I go back to my second year, back down to Statesboro, in the deep south of Georgia, and um, and I'm I'm there and growing like a weed. And there was one particular day where I was having. There was like a, uh, it was called the Russell Union. It was like a gathering place where there was some places to eat and you could kind of, couches and stuff and you could study there. It was like a big two-level place. And and uh, I was sitting there just kind of catching up on some studies and then another guy sits down next to me. And before long, we realized in, just in talking that we were both believers. And then two other people sit down we, and they were Christians. And we had this amazing, like, we felt like this God connected us and we were sitting there having great fellowship and we felt his presence and then people had to go to their classes and stuff and I was just left there with this other guy Lawton who was one of these believers and as we were uh, sitting there a bunch of uh, uh, obviously foreign uh, students start sitting down that you know there were some Asians and some South Americans and they're all sitting down and we hear different languages and we're sitting there and the thought comes to me you know, because we, we had just been experiencing this rich fellowship and this presence and this wonderful thing. The thought comes to me, what if God wants us to say something to these guys? But, like, I quickly, if I'm honest, quickly just dismiss that. Like, you know, get behind me. I don't, like, well, how do you do that? And so I just kind of, you know, ignored that and tried to keep the fellowship going with Lawton. But it wasn't the same. And uh, And so I decided, you know, I should probably get going. And we got up and we... We're walking away, and I stopped to get a drink from the water fountain, and Lawton goes, I can't deal with this. Paul, I feel like we were supposed to talk to those kids. And I was like, dang it. Because <laughs> he felt the same thing that I had, you know. And so we went back, and we sat down on the, on the couches, and uh, Lawton may have not done it the way I would want to do it, but who cares? He just started kind of like talking straight, going into Jesus kind of stuff. I was just trying to kind of strike up conversation. But long story short, the professor comes, and she's sitting there right before the class is about to begin. And she knows, she sees what we're doing. And she goes to us and says, would you two mind coming in? I would like you just to present to the class. I feel like this would be a good cultural study. Now, I know she was violating the, the, the state policy or whatever. This is not a private university. This is public. There's no way that, you know, the preaching the gospel is permitted. But needless to say, we, we said yes. And as I'm going in, all I can say to you is it was like the sense, the best way I know to describe is it was like the sense of, and I don't want to be too dramatic, but this really is how I felt, that the eternal one, like who, who plans from before the foundations of the earth. It was like God had ordained this moment. There was such a sense of God's presence having orchestrated. I felt like I was walking up Bible times is the best way I would know to describe it. And, and we find ourselves standing in front of this whole classroom full of people from all every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue in front of us. And we began to speak. And he's speaking about the Trinity. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, it's flying over their head. And... Uh, and, and I just started sharing about what happened in my life and sharing about the core of the gospel, that God wants to know you. And I'm, there was just like this, 
unction from the Holy Spirit. And, and like when we we're done, I mean, I don't know if anyone gave their life to the Lord or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but it's not like we had an altar call, you know. But, but seeds were sown into, into kids who I guarantee had never even heard the name Jesus. And, uh, and we walked out of there like, what just happened? And so uh, that was thrilling, thrilling. And I want to say to you, this thing of the gospel of the kingdom, this life that Jesus has called us into, look, what I just described, maybe some of that is because of my call, maybe. So I'm wanting to say it doesn't have to look the same for you. But stepping out of your boat in obedience to Jesus and seeing him move through you, that is for you and me, all of us. I'll tell you another story. A friend of ours who's on the NCMI team, his name's Keir Taylor. He is an amazing evangelist in South Africa. He's actually from Zimbabwe originally. And uh, he, he became a Christian while in, in war. What was it? Southwest Africa? Oh, it was Rhodesia. Yes, okay. So he was in a, there was a civil war in what was then Rhodesia. Today is called Zimbabwe. And he was in this war, and, and he meets the Lord. Somebody shares the gospel with me, he meets the Lord. And uh, so he becomes a radical Christian. Within a month, he begins leading a home cell. And can I say that to some of you guys? A home group, community group, as we call it here in Border City Church. Can I say it to some of you guys? I, that is permissible. Okay, leading stuff is not for the, only for the elite and the, yeah, so this needs to be normal. He started leading a community group within a month. Uh, a couple months later, about three months after becoming a Christian, he's in full uniform before the sun rises, and he's with another Christian believer, and uh, they're in uniform, like I said, and they're praying, and another soldier uh, sees them out there and wonders, what are they doing? And so he go, the other soldier goes up to Kier later and says, what were you guys doing out there? And he starts to explain, I, I, we were praying. And that led to a conversation that led that guy to the Lord. The next day, that guy takes a bullet and dies in battle. And uh, so, I mean, think of the sovereignty of God in that to save that young man's life right before he knew that. that but this is not the end of the story. At the burial of this young soldier, uh, they, they go through the whole process, and as Kier is leaving that memorial and burial, the Holy Spirit speaks to, he's only three months a Christian, speaks to Kier Taylor and says, I want you to go back to that town, and I want you to tell them that that young man is not in that grave, he's here with me. And so he goes back to this town. This is a true story. Goes back to the town within like a week, and he starts trying to tell people, I want to gather everybody who will come. I, I, I feel like the Lord has a message. He takes on three months a Christian, takes on a town, gathers the town together, and, uh, and, he, and he begins to preach the gospel, and there were loads of people who got saved and healed. And, and at the end of this, Kier says, this thing of the kingdom is so exciting. And, and I believe this morning God wants to wake us up to begin to dream that, that what God wants to do through you is God-sized. It's not Peter-sized or Joe-sized. It's what God wants to do through you comes through your personality, perhaps. It comes through your person, but it's what only he can do. And all he needs is obedience. 
and what Jesus is dealing with, if we go straight into Revelations chapter 3, verse 1, let's look at this. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I know you may dismiss this and think, oh, it's just weird book of Revelation talk. Well, actually, it's actually not uh, unclear if you do a little digging. So the seven spirits, uh, I, I would argue some theologians think one thing, but a lot of theologians would agree with this, is that this is referring to the kind of seven manifestations of the, not manifestations, the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that is mentioned of the Messiah in, in Isaiah 11 verse 2, where it says the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. The spirit of, let me get it right, wisdom and understanding. So the spirit of the Lord being one spirit, spirit of wisdom and understanding being the second and third, counsel and might being the fourth and fifth, and knowledge and the fear of the Lord being the sixth and seventh. Who hold, who, these things says he, Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. Referencing back to Isaiah 11, there are seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has the seven spirits of God. Uh, in, John, in John chapter 16, now I know it's, it's a trinity. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you say, can one of them have the other? Well, Jesus is kind of, God the Father kind of has Jesus. He's whatever, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's, I, I'm his. Well, the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus's. John chapter 16, Jesus says, I will send you another comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. Apparently, Jesus has the power to send the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and um, uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, it is said of Jesus that he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Are you following? So what is this picture that we're looking at here? The one who has the seven spirits of God is Jesus is the one who possesses the power of the church. The power of the church. The, the ministry of the church. All of what happens by God's kingdom through the church and the earth happens by Jesus who, who authorizes it and performs it through his Holy Spirit, through you and me as we act in obedience to the leading of that spirit. Who here wants to just live in your own comfort zone this week as opposed to being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and seeing the exploits of God being done through you? That, what I just described, is normal Christianity. Sadly, many Christians walk around only looking at our own lives, our own junk, our own trouble, our own worries, and fail to do what the book of Revelation is all about. Lift your gaze and look at him. And yes, you have got problems. Yes, you've got excuses and reasons. Look at him, and when he speaks, do it. And see what God does. So he's this, he has the seven spirits, and he also has the seven stars. And we know the seven stars, what they are, because in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus explicitly says what the seven stars. They are the angels of the seven churches. And uh, that word for angels, most theologians would agree, is actually referring to the pastor or the minister 
of the, of the churches. So Jesus has the Holy Spirit, and he has the, the ones who are feeding the flock with the word of God. He's over, can I say, the, 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 the spirit and the, the word, the preaching of the word, the two things that form the church, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. He's, he has all of that. Are you following? He's over all that. What is the point? Is that Jesus is the source of the ministry of the church. And that's what we're looking at as we look at this church of Sardis. Is Jesus has called us to life. He's called us to life. It is a tragedy when the church is reduced to this works and stuff and activity and go to church and go to community group and pay your tithe and just tick your little boxes. But there's void of that supernatural God speaking to his people and his people people stepping out in faith and obedience. How many of you are a little afraid when I talk about faith and obedience, right? Uh, Sharon lifted her hand. I think, uh, yeah, honestly... (laughs) There, there are three people that had their hands up. The rest of you are liars, so you need to, you need to repent. Because I've got my hand up. I'm telling you, there, this is not supposed to be comfortable. Be, be, it, it, it is inherently uncomfortable, and it addresses the pride of our, of our hearts. The pride that says, I can do the Christian thing, I just don't need to be led by you to do it. The essence of Christianity is that only he can do it. And so we create another thing called Christianity that God's not actually in. We do it, put his name on it, and that's the very thing that God hates. And the church, if we're going to be something of what the church is supposed to be, it happens at a place of consecrated faith and obedience. Now, you don't feel condemned if God leads you and you, and you resist and you and you. You didn't step out. You didn't obey. Right? Don't feel condemned, but repent. and Feel, feel convicted. Feel convicted and be ready to do it again. And if you fall, get back up and say, God, I'm here for you again. And you just keep on doing that every day until you start to grow. And let me tell you something. Before long, you will actually start to feel uncomfortable when you're not being led by the Holy Spirit and you start to feel more comfortable when you know that familiar thing of stepping out into something that you don't know how it's going to work, but you know, you know that voice. You will start to feel that it will become more of a rhythm in your life. None of this was prepared. I'm just kind of flowing with this. Let's go on to this next one. <laughs> I'm being led by the Spirit. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. (laughs) I know your works, that you have a reputation that you're alive, a reputation of being a Christian, reputation of being my church, but the one who's actually possesses and is the head of the church, I would say you're dead. Sobering words. I would say it's, noted here that it is possible to have the appearance of being a Christian without having true spiritual life. I would probably say that that is more common. In fact, it's so common that we tend to think of that as being normal Christianity in our culture today. 
And it's going to take up people who are of wild obedience and faith to create a new norm that cause, uh, calls other people out of Christianity and into Jesus. I want to be of that people. I want you and us together to be that people. The issue here is dead faith. So if Jesus says that you're dead, the thing that makes you alive is faith. And faith is not mental assent to believing about something. Faith means trusting in Jesus, kind of like if he tells me to step off an edge of a cliff, I do it because I have faith in him. Faith is active. Faith without works, faith always has works. So don't say I believe in Jesus and he's not leading you on Wednesday. If I have faith in Jesus, it means that he is speaking to me, leading me, and I'm following. That's what faith is. And he's saying to his church here that they are dead. And again, like I said, the issue of being dead is faith. You don't have to turn there now, but if I could say from the, what Hebrews chapter 6 identifies as the foundations of maturity, it says, therefore, leaving the discussion in verse 1 of the elementary principles, in other words, the foundational principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Dead works? What is a dead work? It's a work done without faith. The Lord says a foundation of your spiritual maturity is to repent of that. Stop doing works that you're not exercising faith in and repent of dead works and faith towards God. You see, you turn from one to receive the other. You repent of dead works to put your faith towards God. And that, that faith, like I said, is living. It's, it's works. It's doing something. I think we heard last week that um, faith without works is dead from James. Uh, Rodney touched on that. We can equally say that works without faith are dead. And Jesus is addressing that. Just kind of doing the stuff. And so a couple questions let's ask ourselves. Am I led by the Spirit as a normal course of my day? Is that, is that the norm? If a uh, objective third party were watching you, perhaps doing a documentary on you, you, and they follow you throughout your day, would that be their description? This person is led by the Spirit of God. Uh, let's ask ourselves this. If Jesus wanted to use me during a normal day, would I be listening and would I be available? Would I be listening? The idea there is, is that you're looking, expecting to be led today. You know, if I'm, sometimes God sovereignly leads me and I wasn't even like looking for it. That's the exception to the rule. The norm is that it's those who are asking to be led, looking to be led, those are the ones you hear, and when you hear, am I available? Am I available? Ask yourself this, ask ourselves this. Do I only receive from the Holy Spirit what fits into my comfort zones? When Jesus, who is the head of the ministry of the church, looks at you, his church, is he able to say whatever he wants 
or is it everything gets rejected except for that which we're comfortable with in, in terms of telling us to do something? I want it to be in my life that Jesus can do whatever he wants. That I'm not by word his, but I'm by deed belong to him. So let's go down to the next verse, verse 2. What do we do about this? He starts to address. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remained that are ready to die. For I have found, not found your works perfect before God. I want to just kind of touch on the picture here that's being painted. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. The idea here is that these believers are, have a sliver of faith left. The things which are, that, that remain and are ready to die. In other words, there is faith in most of the people of this church, but it's dangling by a thread, and even that faith that they have is almost ready to die. So if we can kind of take a realistic picture and evaluation of what that is, we're talking about a first century church. Like most of us, most Christians agree, like the first century church, that is the robust church that we hope to become like. This church was planted in Sardis in the fire of apostolic ministry. Paul the apostle, other apostles planting churches. Jesus had ascended into heaven just a few decades ago. They were full of the fire and passion. There were people not just preaching the gospel, there were people dying being crucified themselves, being, being killed for their faith. That is the atmosphere in which this church was planted. Think about this, within a few decades. Where this was written probably around 90 AD. The church was only a few decades old, this church in Sardis. And Jesus is already stating over them, you are dead. Think about that. I, I, here's what I'm wanting to, us to draw from that. There is a devil there is an enemy who hates our faith because it's the, it is the main thing that confronts him. All he has is lies. That's all he's got. And if that's the case, then the biggest threat to his kingdom is belief. It's belief. It's faith. And, and that, that enemy, through one way, shape, or form, was able to bring that church from a place of radical faith to being called by Jesus dead. And if that could happen to that church, don't you think we should be watchful? Or are we just better because we're, you know, 21st century Christians and we've got smartphones, so, like, how could the devil ever get us? I mean, I've got so many Bible apps on my phone, there's no way the devil could ever get entrance in my heart. You follow, you follow what I'm saying? We think of these, oh, those are just those prehistoric Christians. No, this was the, the, the glory days of the church. Now, we, it doesn't have to end that way, and it won't end that way. Keep on reading the book of Revelation. We get to be a part of the most exciting days in the history of mankind, but we do have an enemy that we need to watch out for. And so, let's go on to this next verse, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. 
I want to just take note firstly of this expression. He says, remember therefore. Remember therefore. This first bit of advice that Jesus gives, or uh, it's not advice, it's instruction of what to do to get out of this situation of being dead. The first, uh, the first instruction is remember. Remember therefore, and remember specifically how you have received and heard. In other words, go back to the point of your original faith. Go back to the simplicity of the gospel. You know, we Christians oftentimes have this encounter with Jesus. We become a born-again Christian, and somehow it's life in the church. It's our life as Christians that we begin to erode our faith rather than grow our faith. We actually become just ordinary, sedentary church people who know how to do the thing, but we've lost that radical passion for Jesus. And he's saying, remember that moment that you and I first met. Remember that, that when you had the revelation of who I am and you received me for who I am. Remember that place. And so it reminds us of Paul writing this letter. And I, if, you, if you want to flip there real quick to Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia, one of the earliest letters of Paul. And, and Paul does not mince his words <laughs> at all. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, I marvel, I marvel at how you so quickly have left your faith. Wouldn't you love that? To have a, have a, oh, Paul wrote us a letter. Come on, let's open it up and see what it says. I marvel at how quickly you have departed from your faith. And so it's the same spirit that Paul's talking in Galatians as what Jesus is saying here in Revelations chapter 3. And if you go to Galatians chapter 3, listen to these words of Paul to this church in Galatia. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> That's not very Christian. Well, he's calling a spade a spade. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you remember what we said earlier that we have an enemy? That there is a devil? Well, let's, let's please humble ourselves this morning and realize that if the church in Galatia in the first century under the leadership of the Apostle Paul could be bewitched, that you and I can be bewitched and still do the Christian thing. The people in Sardis were still gathering together in church on Sunday or whatever day they met. They were still doing the Christian thing and yet they had come to a place where Jesus says you've, you've got a sliver of faith left and even that is about to die. Let us, let us be watchful. Now I'm not trying to put a heavy on us. Kind of I am. I don't know. It, it's, it's the balance of we, this can go really wonky and we can get into a really bad place coupled with the reality that if we will yield ourselves to Jesus, we can live in amazing exploits of a supernatural God and have the opposite of death, spiritual life bursting out of our being for the world to see. And so that's what we want. And we got a choice. So it says, a foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Notice that word obey. That's the issue of spiritual life. Obedience. Yeah, but I'm going through stuff. Obedience. Yeah, but you, like, you don't know what I'm going through. Obedience. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Now listen to this. This only, Paul says, I want to learn from you. Did you, listen to this, receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see the connection between the operation of the Holy Spirit and faith, right? 
having begun, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Can you say that with me? Begun in the Spirit. That's, that's when Jesus says to remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. That's how we began. We began in the Spirit. The Spirit of God was doing a work in our heart, leading us to faith in Christ. The Spirit of God, there was a sense of surrendering our life to Jesus, that he now has our life, and he sends his Spirit to live, live in us. We begun in the Spirit. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Most of the church is attempting to do the Christian thing without the leading and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but through our own strength because it stinks, but it's actually more comfortable to our flesh. But the only antidote to that cruddy thing that all of us actually hate anyway, it's called religion. The only antidote is absolute yieldedness to God declaring that he deserves our whole heart, our whole life, our body, our obedience, our everything. And not only that, it's fun. As Keir Taylor said, this kingdom thing is amazing. We live, there's a thin veil every day before us of the amazing exploits of God that we can step through if we want to, but we, as long as we live on this side of the veil, we'll never see it. And that's what we're invited into. Jesus Christ living in and through his church. And so what are we called to do? Remember, therefore, re, re, return to the simplicity of trusting and following Jesus. Paul said uh, later in 2 Corinthians, another letter, he says uh, I, that he's, I don't know the exact words, but I'm concerned unless in the same way that the devil uh, deceived Eve, that you would be um, led away from the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. And there's something about simplicity simplicity of just trusting and following Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. Come, follow me. That's all the theology you need in one sense. Just add Jesus' name to that and you got the whole of the gospel. Come, follow me. You don't actually, don't, some of you theologians don't get upset. I know you got to have the death and the resurrection. These things. Okay. Return to the simplicity of trusting and following Jesus. And I would also say return to a life given to the Spirit's leading. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is slightly important in the church? <laughs> as, as Rodney and I sometimes say, that many, many churches act as though it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Uh, what about the Spirit? So let's go on to the next verse. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Let's ask ourselves the question. In this church in Sardis, apparently most were of this situation that Jesus would call dead. And then there are some, a few, a smaller percentage that Jesus says, these have not, they are not fitting this description. They have not defiled their garments. Now, we've already established that the, the condition of being dead comes from a lack of faith, a dying of faith. Are, am I right? So this defiling of the garments is not really about walking in holy perfection. It's about walking in faith. That's what makes us pl pleasant to God. That's what pleases God, according to the book of Hebrews. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So, it's, so the idea here is they aren't defiled in that they must be living 
with active faith and obedience. How many of you want to be described as Jesus not having defiled your garments? Well, that's, this, this is how we do it. Again, not sinless perfection, but earnest faith. And faith is not faith unless obedience and action is attached to it. Faith without works is So now we're seeing what this is. It's so simple, actually. Romans 14.23, for whatever is not from faith is sin. The defiling of your garments is about sin, ultimately. But the definition that the scripture, according to Romans 14, gives to what is sin, it's whatever is not of faith. We think that if we don't cuss, we don't drink, and we don't commit fornication, we're not sinning. God says, if you're not obeying me, you're in sin. Are you following? That you have a sin nature that is only mortified by the leading of the Holy Spirit. How does it say? Mortify the... the by the Spirit you put to works the death of the flesh. Yeah. What did I say? Put, put to death the works of the flesh. There we go. So let's go on to this next verse. He who overcomes shall not be clothed, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. I want to be very careful with just a brief explanation and, and a kind of touching on this issue. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That issue, that scripture right there, that verse suggests, it brings to the table some things that have long had no shortage of controversy amongst the, the Christian camp. And to be honest with you, um, I, I, I'm not hung up on it. You know, I'm hung up on certain rudiments of who Jesus is and what he did. Those are non-negotiables. If we don't agree on that, we can't walk together. But this thing about blotting the name out, I'm just going to share with you what I believe. Other theologians would agree. I'm not hung up on it, though. But it is serious. It is serious, and I'll, I'll explain why it's serious. Uh, the idea that... I would say from this passage of scripture and other passages, it would suggest that it is possible for somebody to come to saving faith in Christ and to eventually wind up in a place where they have lost all faith and consequently their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, which is, according to the book of Revelation, the register of heaven. That is possible, I believe, according to the scripture and others. However, I would also say that what got you into heaven into salvation, you have to literally undo that in order to get out. How do you get into salvation? You, you, you make a decision. You make a confession of who Jesus is and that you're going to follow him. And when your faith gets to a point where you basically say, I do not follow Jesus anymore. I do not believe Jesus anymore. Then this is what happens. I believe what Jesus is saying is that the course that many in this church in Sardis are going down are leading to that. What the strength and the things which remain, which are about to die. You are dead. And if you overcome, 
your name will not be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. And so I believe that what we are to live in is a watchfulness, an awareness that there is a devil who, if he can, wants to get us even to that place. But in a sense, if we don't ever get to that place where we actually deny Jesus, what about other lesser degrees of victory that he can claim over us? Of any position that a believer finds themselves in where their faith erodes and becomes dead is a, is a tragedy in the kingdom of heaven. And we should be watchful, not just so that we don't end up not going to heaven or whatever that may be, but so that Jesus is who he is in our life. You follow what I'm saying? I hope you're, you're catching my heart. And so this is what I want to say about this. What does it mean to overcome in this context? It means to keep your faith alive through readiness to act and obey in response to Jesus. That, that's it. Keep your faith alive through readiness to act and obey. Who in the world cares about your theology? Is that all we have to say our faith? They want to see, is God real? And they're only going to see that when you act and obey. And they see God through you. And there are people in my family who have come to faith in, in Jesus, not because of my theology, but because they saw my life changed. You can't deny that. Keeping faith alive, what, what would it mean to overcome? I, I think it means to return to the yieldedness to the Spirit of God. So it ends with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you hearing what the Spirit is saying to us this morning? I hope it's not what I'm saying, and I earnestly don't believe it's what I'm saying. But if it's not just what I'm saying, then can we give it the weight that it deserves? That we are called to live in so much more if we will just open ourselves up. Even as I'm speaking right now, could I just share this with you? I feel, I feel this in my spirit, that for some of you in here, it's almost like baby steps. It's, it's, you, you, you hear these testimonies that I shared at the beginning of this message, and you think, oh my gosh, that is like way, way, way beyond me. And I just feel in my spirit, and I, I want to humbly submit to you, I feel it right now, that for, for many of us perhaps, it's not this huge thing it's the subtle little, seemingly, quote-unquote, little thing. And God, and if you, if you will respond to that, God will give you more. And if you respond to that, God will give you more. And you will grow in your faith. You will grow in your faith. And so just be encouraged this morning that God knows where you're at. And no father is going to try to throw his, you know, one-year-old onto a bicycle without training wheels. Uh, there, he knows where you're at. He knows what you can handle, but he doesn't allow you to stay where you are. He is leading you into more. Can you simply, even right now, in this moment, just open up your heart to the Lord and say, I'm open to the more. I'm open to the next step. Can you even do that right now?